Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, September 1st. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Jaya Joyce. And I'm Madison Colombo. Now, let's see What's What in New York. New York is remembering Hurricane Ida one year later. Ida killed 13 people last year, with 11 deaths coming from Queens. Today, Mayor Adams talked about preventing flooding from severe storms in the future at a press conference in Ozone Park. We're going to continue to be prepared for whatever challenges that we have to face. We will pivot and shift and adjust. We are adapting in real time to the realities of climate change and doing everything we can to keep New Yorkers safe. Long-awaited drainage fixes are coming to the Sawmill and Bronx River Parkways as well. And the city is also using rain gardens and water runoff ponds to help store water during heavy rainfall. This is more than just infrastructure. This is how we're going to protect our city and our people from rising sea levels and stronger storms. While some of these solutions could take months or years, the Department of Environmental Protection is offering some short-term solutions too. Yesterday, they offered 15,000 inflatable barriers to city homeowners in known flood zones. The inflatable dams are meant to keep water from coming into homes, sunken driveways, or basements. This could be particularly useful to prevent future deaths from flooding in basement apartments. Protesters are calling for prison reform outside City Hall after another inmate has died at Rikers Island. Inmate Michael Nieves attempted suicide, and reports say he was left to bleed for over 10 minutes by guards. Nieves was taken off life support Tuesday and had been in and out of treatment since his arrest in 2019. Despite being in a psychiatric unit, Nieves was still able to get a razor and hurt himself. The three staff members who are said to have looked on the scene have been suspended, but protesters want answers. This is the 13th in-custody death at the Department of Corrections this year. Those rallying argue that more has to be done to protect inmates. Moviegoers can start popping popcorn now because this Saturday is National Cinema Day. That's right, and over 30 theaters in all five boroughs are offering tickets for $3. The promotion is to try and get cinephiles back into theaters after the pandemic had them shut down for months. Over 3,000 theaters are participating nationally with 30,000 showings across the country. Mets fans were going wild at City Field last night, but not just because of the team's big 2-1 win over the Dodgers. As the Mets' closer, Edwin Diaz, took the mound in the ninth, he was joined by a special guest. Australian musician Timmy Trumpet was at the third baseline to perform a live rendition of Diaz's iconic walkout song, Narco. Trumpet was at the game on Tuesday, but wasn't able to perform the song because the team lost to the Dodgers before Diaz entered the game. He performed Take Me Out to the Ball Game instead. But Trumpet came back again Wednesday and was able to hype up the crowd of over 41,000 as Diaz closed out the game. Perhaps Trumpet brings a lucky charm to the team. Who knows? Maybe he'll be back to play during the World Series. Now, let's turn to the world of sports with Brian Raybax. So, Brian, do you think Trumpet could change the Mets' luck around? Well, Madison, it looks like it has so far. A lot of great moments came from this one for the Mets. First off, Jacob deGrom was spectacular on the mound once again. No surprise there as his presence in that rotation just continues to make the Mets a powerhouse in the National League. But DeGrom had a little help from his defense as well, as center fielder Brandon Nimmo made an incredible catch in the seventh inning, robbing Justin Turner of a home run. 
a thrilling moment for the City Field crowd. And as you guys mentioned, Edwin Diaz came in and got the save as the Mets even up this series with the Dodgers. Isn't it also the start of college football season? How are our local Fordham Rams doing? That's right, JF. Fordham football is back in action. They open up this season later today as they are on the road, taking on the Wagner Seahawks at Wagner College Stadium in Staten Island. Kickoff there is set for 6 p.m. Fordham is looking to build off a solid year where they competed for a Patriot League title. Fordham was second in the Patriot League preseason poll, right behind last year's conference champs, Holy Cross. I heard Serena Williams had an upset win last night. Do you have anything from the U.S. Open? I do, Madison. Serena Williams, one of the all-time greats, continues to amaze even in the twilight of her career. Last night, she pulled off quite the upset as she beat Annette Contevate, the number two seed in the entire tournament, to advance to the second round. Williams has made it known that this U.S. Open may be the last tournament of her illustrious career, and her win last night ensures that she'll take part in at least one more match. With WFUV Sports... I'm Brian Raybax. Thanks, Brian. Mobster movies are a staple of New York film culture. Yes, they are, Jaya, and I got the chance to sit down with Chaz Palminteri, one of the creative minds behind the renowned mobster film A Bronx Tale, to talk about what goes into a film and the story's return to the stage. Picture an iconic mobster movie. Street smart criminals, some morally gray actions, and usually an appearance from Robert De Niro. Another thing most of them have in common? New York City. From The Godfather to Goodfellas, the city has been the cultural hub of the mobster genre. And one of those iconic films took place just a short walk away from the FUV studio. And I learned the greatest gift of all. The saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And the choices that you make will shape your life forever. But you can ask anybody from my neighborhood and they'll just tell you, this is just another Bronx tale. Premiering in 1993, A Bronx Tale pays homage to Bronx life in the 60s, touching on themes of racism and, of course, wasted talent, telling the story of a young boy stuck between the alluring life of mobsters and the morality of being a hard-working man. A Bronx Tale quickly gained recognition as one of the greatest New York mobster films. You gotta do what your heart tells you to do. I'm gonna tell you something right now. You only allowed three great women in your lifetime. They come along like the great fighters once every 10 years. Rocky Marciano, Sugar Ray Robinson, Joe Lewis. Sometimes you get them all at once. Me? I had my three when I was 16. That happens. What do you want to know? That's Chaz Palminteri, who wrote and starred in the film that's partially based on his own Bronx childhood. I got to sit down with Palminteri to talk about the powerful film and his return to New York City in the one-man stage version of the story. So your play, A Bronx Tale, is pretty much legendary. It's the New York staple. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with the storyline? You've said in the past it's a little autobiographical. Yes, very much. Yes. So can you explain how you kind of put the play together? Well, the one-man show was the first. It was 1988. I was in L.A. Mm -hmm. First, I was in New York first, working as an actor, you know, getting a job, then not getting a job for a long time, getting another job. You know, as any actor does, you stop. I was studying at the actor's studio in New York. And then finally I decided to go to L.A. and try my luck there. I got lucky right away. I got in Hill Street Blues, and I got I, that's before your time. And that's <laughs> then I got on a show called Madlock, and then Dallas, and, and then I did a TV series, and a show called Peter Gunn. And, but it would hold me for another six months, four months, five months, because, you know, you make a lot of money when you work. And then finally I ran out of money. 
So I got a job as a doorman again because that's what I used to, you know, that's what I did. And then one night I was working the door and a very famous, I didn't know he was famous. He was trying to get into his own party. I didn't know who it was. I didn't let him in because he was very rude to me. And the guy's name was Swifty Lazar. Swifty Lazar, if you look him up on Google, was the biggest agent in the world at the time. And I just told him he couldn't come into his own party. (laughs) And he told me I was going to be fired in 15 minutes. Just like he said, I got fired in 15 minutes. So I went back to my little apartment in North Hollywood. And I said, what am I going to do? This is like 30-something years ago. And I said, well, you know, if they won't give me a great part, then I'll write one myself. So I started writing about this killing that I saw when I was nine years old, almost 10 I was. And I wrote about this killing, and I performed it for my theater workshop in L.A. And they loved it. And each week I would write a little more. I would perform it for them, and people would comment, give notes on it. And at the end of almost a year, I had 90 minutes of this one-man show. I called a friend. He sent me some money to produce it. I produced it. Madison, and as soon as I did that show, my career just, like, exploded. <laughs> they, but here was the thing. They offered me... I had no money in the bank at the time. I had, like, $200 in the bank. And they offered me $250,000 to walk away from it. I said no. They said... Because they wanted me to just give them the thing. And, and I can't play Sonny and I can't write the screenplay. And I said, no, it's my life. I want to write about it. Yeah. They said, no, forget it. I said, forget it then. I walked away. Then they went up to 500000 <laughs> Then they went up to $1 million. Wow. And I still said no. Then finally, one night I was doing it. Crowds kept getting bigger and bigger in the theater. And uh, one night I did the show and I got upstage and somebody said, Robert De Niro just saw your show. He's in your dressing room waiting. And I said, Robert De Niro saw the show? They said, yeah. I said, wow. I got upstage. I went downstairs and there was Bob De Niro. And he said, wow, that, that's the... That was the greatest one-man show I ever saw. He goes, that's a movie you did on stage. I said, yeah. You know, he said to me very frankly, he goes, if you sell it, they're going to come to me anyway. I said, look, Bob, I want to play Sonny and I want to write the screenplay. That's the way I want it. And he said, look, I'll direct it, he said. I'll play your father. You play Sonny. You you write the screenplay. And he goes, and if you shake my hands, that's the way it'll be. I shook his hand and the rest, they say, is history. You can hear the full interview with Chaz Palminteri and about the return of his one-man show to New York City at our website, WFUVnews.org. I'm Madison Colombo, WFUV News. That was an excerpt of my co-host Madison Colombo talking with actor and screenplay writer Chaz Palminteri about his story, A Bronx Tale. You can hear the full interview on our website, WFUVnews.org. And that's our show for today. I'm Madison Colombo. And I'm Jaya Joyce. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.